This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So if your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened, I'm okay, other people have it worse, it doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd start to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. October 9th, 2010. 90-year-old Zechariah Sitchin was still clinging on to the last of his life's work. The astronaut theorist knew his days were numbered, but he was hell-bent on proving a theory that he believed would change everything we knew about humanity. Sitchin had already authored over 15 books chronicling the origins of the Earth and the stars above, and he hoped to reveal one final piece of evidence. If he didn't get the results he hoped for, it could jeopardize his credibility entirely. But that didn't keep Sitchin from seeking the truth. He contacted the Natural History Museum in London and asked for permission to run a DNA test on the remains of one of their oldest artifacts, Queen Puabi. Unearthed during an archeological dig in modern-day Iraq, the 4,500-year-old Sumerian woman was considered a goddess during her time on Earth. But this would be no ordinary DNA test. Sitchin wanted to prove that Queen Puabi was, in fact, a celestial being, possibly one with alien DNA. And if he could confirm that Queen Puabi had an extraterrestrial bloodline, it meant that everything else he had written in those books was true, that there was another planet in our solar system, and it had inhabitants that fraternized with ancient Sumerians here on Earth. 
a planet long forgotten or intentionally hidden from humanity for thousands of years, a mysterious planet known today as Nibiru. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a ParCast original. Every Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events in search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Conspiracy Theories for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. This is our first episode on the conspiracy theory that our solar system has an extra secret planet called Nibiru. Author and researcher Zechariah Sitchin was the first to promote this theory when he believed he had found concrete evidence of an additional planet in Sumerian artifacts. Not only that, he claimed that Nibiru and its advanced life forms visit Earth every 3,600 years and one day they will return. This week we'll explore ancient Sumerian culture. We'll also track Sitchin's analysis of those ancient texts and how they led to the discovery of Nibiru. Next week, we'll dive into the conspiracy theories surrounding Nibiru. We'll learn about the Anunnaki, the alien inhabitants of Nibiru, and the theory that they may have created life on Earth. It's possible they are due to return, but in the meantime, they might also be watching our every move. It was 1877 when French archaeologist Ernest de Sarzik led his excavation of Tello in today's southern Iraq. The sun blared down on the overheated Sarzik as he and his team plunged their shovels into the soft dirt. Blinded by the glare, his other senses picked up on the rich scent of wet dirt below the surface. He could hear the sounds of his men panting through their work. But soon, Sarzik's shovel clanked against something hard in the dirt below. He called his men over. They gathered around and bent down, carefully digging with their hands before uncovering the most wonderful piece of evidence. It was the head of a statue of Gudea, made of a coarse-grained rock known as diorite. Gudea was a Sumerian leader who commissioned a series of sculptures in his own likeness. They were certain that this had to be one of them. Sarzik and his team quickly realized that this wasn't going to be an ordinary dig. They'd uncovered the ancient Sumerian city of Girzu, one of the earliest known civilizations in human history. And the statue head of Gudea would be just the first in a series of important finds. 
In fact, the excavation of Tello was so rich in artifacts, the dig would go on for another 50 years. And according to the British Museum, preservation work on the site is still being done today. From that initial discovery onward, Sarzek realized that these Sumerian people who lived in the third millennium BCE weren't as primitive as one would expect. In fact, they appeared to be a technologically advanced society well ahead of their years. After the head of Gudea, Sarzik's team went on to uncover clay tablets containing cuneiform, which is the earliest form of writing ever discovered. Each one appeared to show a variety of historical records, documenting things like their financial accounts, their economic rules and structure, and early forms of deeds and land ownership. There was also evidence that Tello had been the city center for the Sumerian people in what was once Mesopotamia. The Sumerians' vibrant communities were prosperous thanks to trade and the exchange of ideas. From these tablets, historians were able to surmise that the Sumerians were the earliest humans to conceive of mathematics. This likely helped them to construct what was the very first potter's wheel, a heavy disc that would spin on an axis in order to shape wet clay, which predated anything else quite like it. But Sumerian technology didn't end there. They also invented things like the chariot and modern plowing techniques. Archaeologists even discovered that the first chemist lived in Tello, a Sumerian woman named Taputi, who created a fragrant salve, which is also the first known perfume. Historian Samuel Noah Kramer wrote of how the Sumerians would take an idea or product, such as a new textile or a type of pottery, and use their creativity to perfect and mass-produce the item. In a way, their society was like an ancient Silicon Valley. But it wasn't just technology. Sumerians were also credited with being the first to develop an early form of democracy. The uncovered tablets showed that below their kings were elected officials who provided checks and balances on the leaders and their proclamations. The Sumerians also appeared to be avid astronomers and developed the earliest version of the zodiac calendar. And as more evidence of the civilization was uncovered, archaeologists started to ask a larger question. Just how were the Sumerians in the 3rd millennium BCE able to achieve such an advanced culture during a primitive time in human evolution, and so quickly. For comparison, the Ubaids, who lived from 5500 to 4000 BCE, were the Sumerians' immediate predecessors. And although they lived in the same region of Mesopotamia, they were drastically more primitive. The Ubaids lived in small villages rather than cities. They were housed in T-shaped mud brick huts. But around 4000 BCE, the time the Ubaids were dying off, the Sumerians began developing methods for mass-produced clay bricks and dramatically advanced their methods of architecture. The artwork of the Ubaids depicted humans interacting with animals and living off the land. Whereas the Sumerians lived off the land in more complex ways by developing the first forms of irrigation and hydraulic engineering. 
As Ubaids evolved to Sumerians, they began to write down their stories on clay tablets unearthed at Tello. The Sumerian text, the Epic of Gilgamesh, is regarded as the first epic tale ever written down. Thanks to the discoveries at Tello, historians and anthropologists were able to understand human development in a way they never had before. They were able to see the very first iterations of modern civilization. But one of the most crucial discoveries made by Sarzik and his archaeological team was that the Sumerians had a very advanced form of religion. There was evidence that they had built places of worship for their deities in these city centers, and it appeared that theology informed their means of government as well as their social structures. In fact, the Sumerians believed it was their duty to work with the deities to maintain order in society. And those deities often took human form and even had human traits. They would drink and party, have sex and marry one another. They even fought like humans. And there were hundreds of different deities or gods that they felt they needed to maintain a relationship with. Because if they kept their gods happy, then the gods would do the same. The most important god was known as the An and was dubbed the Sky God or Lord of the Heavens. But over time, he was trumped by the power of other gods who took over as his An power. But there was also Enlil, the god of wind and storms, Enki, the god of wisdom and magic, and Inanna, the god of passion, love, and war. But the Sumerians also believed that the sun, the moon, and the stars were also gods in the sky looking down upon them. The Sumerians believed that these celestial beings didn't just live in the heavens, they also had the ability to physically inhabit Earth. Their idols lived in the lands just above them, in a place that astronaut theorist Zechariah Sitchin believed was called Nibiru. In fact, based on the discoveries at Tello, Zechariah Sitchin wrote over 15 books. According to the New York Times, those books had such a following that they went on to be published in over 25 languages. Sitchin was born in Russia in 1920 and was raised in Palestine. He moved to New York City in 1952, where he worked as an executive at a shipping company. Perhaps he felt, somewhere deep down, that this desk job wasn't all his life was meant to be. That's when he heard about the finds at Tello. Sitchin became so interested, in fact, that he began to teach himself Sumerian script. He mastered it quickly. With his newfound knowledge, he was able to interpret the texts and drawings that archaeologists dug up at Tello. At one time, the biblical land of Shinar, described in the book of Genesis, was thought to be mythological. But based on evidence found at Tello, many now believe that Sumeria was actually what the Bible was referencing when it spoke of Shinar. The place did, in fact, exist. Sitchin took this information and decided to take it a step further. Because it stands to reason, that if the land of Shinar existed, perhaps other lost structures or cities mentioned in the Bible could be uncovered too. 
In fact, this proved, in Sitchin's mind, the complete veracity of both the Bible and the Sumerian texts. They were so similar that they corroborated one another. Though many scholars had done this before, Sitchin's interpretations were different than anyone else's. He believed he had developed the one true understanding of Sumerian text, and he'd found something new hidden in the ancient writings. Sitchin believed that everything about the Sumerians had actually been misinterpreted and it was his job to right the wrongs, especially when he discovered one critical fact that could change humanity entirely. The Sumerian location known as Nibiru was actually a very real planet right here in our solar system. Coming up, we'll go deeper into Sitchin's theories and get a look at his interpretation of Sumerian texts. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life, at least not the ones you're thinking of, but they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home, like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, it's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. In 1976, Zechariah Sitchin released a book called Twelfth Planet, book one of the Earth Chronicles, the first in a series of eight. In Twelfth Planet, Sitchin analyzed the drawings, artifacts, and texts of Sumeria and observed many correlations and references between ancient Sumeria and the Bible. And when he read other scholarly assessments of the ancient Sumerian text, he became convinced they were wrong. For centuries, scholars assumed Sumerian texts were only legend and myth. Just like Greek scholars who didn't believe Odysseus really dueled with the Cyclops, like it's written in the Odyssey, many believe that Sumerian stories were nothing more than tall tales. But Sitchin's discovery assumed otherwise. His analysis of the Bible seemed to mirror what he was reading in the Sumerian cuneiform, meaning that they were one and the same, and both texts contained nothing but truth. And even though these texts were written far apart, Sitchin believed that they had much overlap. He interpreted these texts as literal, because if these texts weren't true, then how were they so in sync with one another? Sitchin attempted to prove his theory further by tracing the movement of different peoples through the Middle East. 
He pointed out that the great Assyrian cities, Dura Sharukin and Nineveh, both in modern-day Iraq, are also mentioned in the Bible as well as cuneiform inscriptions found at Tello. And that was remarkable. Sitchin began to wonder whether the Bible wasn't just guidance for religion or morality, but accurate historical records. And since the Bible and the Sumerian text reference so many of the same things, they confirmed each other and the stories they were telling. Sitchin's book also went into great detail on the pantheon of Greek gods, like Zeus and Athena. He explained that the Greek gods can clearly be seen as derivatives of the gods that the Sumerians worshipped. As Sitchin's book argues that in both Sumerian and Greek theology, there are specifically 12 major deities. And each had chief deities who had to overcome a herd of monsters to reign supreme. Even though contemporary culture credits the ancient Greeks with many Western ideas, Sitchin and many other scholars pointed to the fact that Sumerians were the true fathers of Western society. But things started to take a turn in Sitchin's translations. Over time, he started to come to dramatic conclusions about what the Sumerian text was saying. Things like, the Sumerian gods came from spaceships and wore strange outfits. And the best part of all was that he truly believed it. He believed their drawings of gods appeared to be flying on winged globes. There were rocket ships and space goggles, as if they were from another planet. The planet Nibiru. Sitchin's translations proved to him that the Sumerians were crediting these celestial beings for their technological advances. Things like math, architecture, and the ability to write. But he also claims that these alien gods were responsible for the creation of man itself. Sitchin built his case around the idea that Sumerian society had direct interaction with heavenly beings. And again, for Sitchin, these stories were not merely mythology. They were documented facts. Sitchin truly believed that if these gods were flying in spaceships but also drinking at parties, getting into fights and sleeping with each other, as well as the humans, then they had to be living, breathing, sentient beings. Beings with powers that weren't spending the majority of their time on Earth. And from there, his theories began to snowball. So much, in fact, that he managed to fill another 14 books with the information he was translating. But things took a turn for Sitchin when he looked to chapter 6 of the biblical book of Genesis. The Nephilim were upon the earth in those days and thereafter too, when the sons of the gods cohabitated with the daughters of the Adam, and they bore children unto them. They were the mighty ones of eternity, the people of the Shem. While the interpretations of the term Nephilim may vary, they are often known as fallen angels or the child of a fallen angel and a human woman. So Sitchin believed that this text proved that there had been a physical interaction between the gods and man who went as far as having offspring together. And, according to Sitchin, the Mighty Ones of Eternity, the people of the Shem, 
were heavenly people who came to Earth via a Shem, which was the Hebrew word for rocket ship. That's right. Sitchin believed he found written proof in the Bible that gods or aliens had come to Earth in a rocket ship and mated with human women. Sitchin argued that this highly progressive culture would not simply write stories without them being backed up by facts. They were astronomers, mathematicians, and innovators. Sitchin believed them to be a serious people who wrote the truth. And that reference to a rocket ship, which appeared in their text more than once, came from research, not poetry. Sitchin mentions that the Sumerians had over 25,000 texts devoted to astronomy and astrology. Scholars of today have taken Sumerian astronomy seriously. After all, their scientific research and analysis was no joke. A 4,500-year-old Sumerian depiction of our solar system is shockingly accurate, even to today's astronomers. So why didn't scholars take the possibility of aliens from the planet Nibiru coming to mate with humans seriously? Sitchin did pick up on one major discrepancy between our modern-day understanding of the solar system and the one the Sumerians suggested. Sitchin saw 12 planets. The Sun, which he counted as a planet, Mercury, Venus, Earth, the Earth's moon, which he also counted, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. And in between Mars and Jupiter, another planet, a twelfth planet, Nibiru. We know now, of course, that the Sun and the Moon are not technically planets, and Pluto's been debated for decades. But the point is, the Sumerians accurately noted all known heavenly bodies. They just added one extra. Knowing the rest of the depiction was accurate, Sitchin believed that Nibiru also existed. If the Sumerians were right about concepts of math and law and astronomy, then why would they be wrong about this? So he set out to prove it. Sitchin started by pointing to a cylinder seal found at Tello, Cylinder seals were like stamps, used to make impressions on clay for written communications in Sumer. The silver seal, now on display at a museum in Berlin, was an artistic rendering of three human figures carrying a variety of advanced tools. Presumably, they're astronomers or artisans. But behind the figures, there are 12 objects in the sky. They could have been stars, or they could have been planets, 12 planets altogether. The number 12 clearly had a significance. For example, the holiness of 12 was why the Sumerian clock, calendar, and zodiac signs were also organized by 12s. Sitchin referenced multiple Sumerian texts where characters beg for the mercy of the gods 12 times. The number was important, and Sitchin argued this was because of the 12 celestial bodies, or planets, that occupied our solar system. Because of the intelligence of the Sumerians and the accuracy of their technology, other researchers dedicated time to exploring the theory and attempted to place Nibiru in our skies. But modern science could find no proof. Scientists agreed that if the Sumerians did see something in the sky, something extra, they may have been seeing the Pleiades, a cluster of stars in the location of where Nibiru was said to exist. 
Sitchin, however, refused to believe the planet was fiction. The Sumerians were right about so much, they were in tune with something modern-day humanity simply wasn't. Now, more than ever, Sitchin was hell-bent on proving a 12th planet existed. In his first book, he defended his interpretation with ferocity. He reminded his readers of Bode's Law, a scientific rule that predicated the spacing in between planets. The rule stated that if the number four is added to each of the numbers 0, 3, 6, 12, 24, 48, 96, and 192, and these are divided by 10, the resulting series represents approximately the distances of the planets in astronomical units from the sun. In 1778, mathematician J.E. Bode used this equation to suggest the existence of another planet in between Mars and Jupiter. And he too believed there was mathematically too much space between them. Now, astronomers recognize that the space between Mars and Jupiter is home to the asteroid belt. But perhaps something else used to occupy the space. Something like Nibiru. NASA claims that the asteroid belt is bits of rock left over from the dawn of the solar system. But Sitchin's gears were turning. Was it possible that Nibiru did exist at one point, but somewhere along the line, the planet exploded? He didn't entertain the idea for long. Sitchin wanted to believe that Nibiru wasn't just a thing of the past. In fact, Sitchin was convinced that the inhabitants of Nibiru were still out there, alive and well. His translations had developed a new theory, that these aliens, or gods, make contact here on Earth every 3,600 years. And they came to embed their DNA and knowledge into human beings, like the kings and queens of the Sumerians. When we return, we'll explore what other scientists and researchers have to say about Sitchin, and whether or not the inhabitants of Nibiru are waiting to return. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Now, back to the story. In 1976, scholar Zechariah Sitchin came out with a claim that ancient Sumerians had discovered another planet in our solar system called Nibiru and that the inhabitants of Nibiru visit Earth every 3,600 years. 
and that their existence had been forgotten or perhaps covered up. Despite his extensive research and lengthy books on the subject, Sitchin's theories were not accepted everywhere. Scholars did agree that Nibiru was part of the Sumerian texts, but they believed it was nothing more than a myth. One researcher in particular emerged as a loud opponent of what he called Sitchin's dangerous ideas. Dr. Michael S. Heiser, a PhD of Hebrew, Bible, and ancient Semitic languages, was appalled by Sitchin's claims, and he set out to prove him wrong before Sitchin could sell any more of his dangerous lies. Heiser used something called the Chicago Assyrian Dictionary, the premier and most comprehensive Sumerian dictionary, to translate all ancient references to Nibiru himself. Heiser admitted the texts were indeed confusing, but Heiser claimed, one thing is certain from the texts. Nibiru was never identified as a new planet. He then looked at the same texts and depictions of our solar system that Sitchin had. But Heiser came up with completely different results. Heiser did not see a 12th planet. In fact, he contended that the Sumerians knew not of 12 planets, but only the five that are visible to the naked eye. Jupiter, Venus, Mars, Mercury, and Saturn. Heiser also points to the Sumerian seal that Sitchin used to defend Nibiru. But Heiser believed that the seal contained an artistic interpretation of stars, not planets at all. But Heiser's dismissal didn't stop Sitchin. Even in his 90s, he never gave up. Just days before his death in 2010, Sitchin attempted to get DNA samples of Queen Puabi. Sitchin decided to, as he put it, risk his life's work by requesting those samples, knowing full well they might prove him wrong. But he didn't care, because if the results did come back positive, then he felt he could finally put an end to everyone's doubts. Unfortunately for Sitchin and the rest of the world, the Natural History Museum refused to grant Sitchin a sample. Queen Puabi's alien DNA was left unproven. And yet, Sitchin isn't the only scientist who's toyed with the idea of another planet. Though most researchers do not subscribe to Sitchin's version of Nibiru, there is mounting evidence that there may be other unknown planets near or even in our solar system. Meaning, Sitchin may have been onto something after all. It's true that there are hundreds, if not thousands, of undiscovered heavenly bodies. Take the recent exploration of the Kuiper Belt as an example. NASA described the Kuiper Belt as a donut-shaped region of icy bodies beyond the orbit of Neptune. Like the asteroid belt which we mentioned earlier, the Kuiper Belt is made up of objects left over from the birth of our solar system. This includes Arakoth, a large red body which NASA can only describe as a trans-Neptunian object. NASA's official stance? The Kuiper Belt is truly a frontier in space. It's a place we're still just beginning to explore, and our understanding is still evolving. So, is this NASA's way of admitting there might be another planet in our solar system after all? Well, who knows what we'll find in the final frontier as our technology advances. After all, this isn't the first time the conversation of hidden or secret planets has been taken seriously. 
In fact, a lot of information we have gathered about space was actually discovered by accident. Uranus was found only in 1781 by British astronomer Sir William Herschel. After using his telescope to observe the stars, he discovered Uranus and recognized that this massive body wasn't a star at all, but instead a whole new planet. And Neptune was only detected in 1846 by German astronomer Johann Galle. It was theorized that something large was near Uranus, as this would account for the irregularities in Uranus's orbit. Pluto followed shortly thereafter in 1930, discovered by American astronomer Clyde W. Tombaugh. Pluto was only identified after scientists noticed slight changes in Neptune and Uranus's orbits. And we still haven't been able to come up with a concrete classification for the celestial body today. Depending on the year, it's a dwarf planet, a regular planet, or a star. So if we're still spotting new space objects as recently as 1930, what will we learn in 2030? It's apparent that we still have a lot more to learn. So perhaps there's still a chance that Sitchin knew something that NASA and its entities did not. In 2018, Space.com published an article claiming that there indeed may be an additional planet in our solar system after all. One often referred to as Planet Nine, for those who don't count Pluto as a planet, and Planet X by those who do. What's important is that the piece goes on to detail how several established astronomers recognized a weird clustering in the orbits of small objects beyond Neptune. This suggests space debris has been gathering in strange arrangements, which they believe is guided by some unseen gravitational pull. The study of gravitational pull is just one of the ways in which scientists observe new planets and objects in space. Another is the blinking comparator, which was used to uncover Pluto. The blinking comparator is an instrument which allows the user to switch between astronomical photographs taken days apart. The photographs are aligned so any distant stars will remain stationary, but a planet-like object or planet will appear to move. So, using devices like the blinking comparator and rules like Bode's Law, scientists are continually learning of new objects in our solar system. While the astronomers and their colleagues are not claiming Nibiru exists, they are admitting that something unidentified may be causing this unusual clustering. And many believe that whatever is disrupting the normal orbital patterns is a huge deal. Those studying this phenomenon believe the unseen agent may be about 10 times more massive than Earth and orbits 600 times farther from the Sun. This discovery has actually led researchers to scan the skies with their telescopes, hoping to catch a glimpse of a planet beyond Pluto. As scientists buy more and more into Sitchin's theory, conspiracy theorists have designed their own speculations about Planet Nine. Meaning, Sitchin's Nibiru is just a jumping off point. Next week, we'll unpack these ideas further by examining three different conspiracy theories around Nibiru. Conspiracy 
conspiracy theory number one suggests that the residents of Nibiru, known as the Anunnaki, came to Earth in 4000 BCE. They interacted with the Sumerians, shared their advanced technology, and perhaps left behind hybrid children. With the technological advances made during the Sumerian period, it does almost seem like they may have gotten help from some celestial force. Further, Sitchin believed that they should be credited with the entire creation of mankind. Heiser and his colleagues have tried to discredit Sitchin's theories, but ample evidence points to the existence of the Anunnaki and their imminent return to Earth. Conspiracy theory number two involves the 2012 Mayan apocalypse prediction, which declared that the world would end on December 21st, 2012. But perhaps this was actually a prediction of the next Nibiru visit. This idea became popularized after a woman named Nancy Lader, a self-proclaimed psychic, claimed to be an alien contactee. Since the world didn't end in 2012, we'll take a look at when the next Nibiru visit may come and why the scientific world has tried to dismiss Later's claims. And finally, conspiracy theory number three. The moon is not actually an orbiting rock, but a Nibiru satellite. And so is Mars. As wild as these ideas may seem, ancient evidence offers what some consider plenty of proof. Since we didn't live in the Sumerian times, it's difficult to say whether the translation of their text is accurate or not. So is there really another planet out there, one we haven't discovered yet? Almost certainly. But is it Nibiru? And has it been covered up? That question still remains. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back Wednesday with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. For more information on Nibiru, amongst the many sources we used, we found Sitchin's novel Twelfth Planet extremely helpful to our research. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Conspiracy Theories for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Conspiracy Theories on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Monica Labadia, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. Conspiracy Theories